So we're looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 1 to... Uh, that doesn't look right. Um, verses 8 to 9. I've got the right sermon. I just had the wrong verses here. <laughs> so verses chapter 7, verses 8 to 9, and verses 25 to 40. When I was in college, I was part of a Christian fellowship, and some of the guys in our fellowship formed uh, an informal club called the Lobsters, which stood for Loyal Order of Bachelors Single Till the Eventual Rapture, <laughs> or for short, Bachelors Till the Rapture. Of course, a lot of them are married now. <laughs> but at the time, there was a lot of chest pounding and a lot of mutual congratulation about how good it was to be single men. And some of the fuel for that enthusiasm came from today's passage, a passage that seems to say that it's better to be single than to be married, but a passage which is actually full of challenges in trying to interpret it and understand it. And we looked at some of those challenges two Sundays ago when we began to look at the other part of this chapter. First, Paul, in, in the letter of 1 Corinthians, is now specifically addressing and responding to some questions that the Corinthians had written to him about. Verse 1, he says, now for the matters you wrote about. And what's tricky for us as, as we look at Paul's answers to these questions is that we don't know exactly what the questions were. So it's like we talked about this two weeks ago when you're listening to someone talking on the phone and it's not speakerphone, so you're only hearing one side of the conversation. And, and from that, you're trying to guess what the other person is saying that the person you can hear is responding to. And you can't always tell. And so Paul's writing to the Corinthians, and there's a lot of background, and there's a lot of specifics that we don't have because he and the Corinthians already know it, and so he doesn't need to say it in the letter. For example, in verse 26, Paul gives the reason for the advice he gives about staying married or remaining single, and he says, because of the present distress. What distress? <laughs> the Corinthians know, and Paul knows, but we don't know. A second challenge in understanding this passage is that sometimes Paul is quoting their letter, and sometimes he's responding to it. But there are no quote marks in the original Greek, so we don't know for sure when Paul's quoting their perspective and when he's offering his own perspective. So, for example, in verse 34, when Paul says, an unmarried woman's aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. Is this something Paul is claiming, or is this something the Corinthian women were claiming that he's responding to? Again, the English translators have to guess whether to put quote marks around it or not, because there are none in Greek one way or another. And then there are all the normal challenges we always have in translating and interpreting Paul's letters. And today's passage has more than most. Just read half a dozen different translations of 1 Corinthians 7, and you'll quickly come up with a list of confusing questions based on how different translators have translated it. For example, in verse 9, does Paul say it's better to marry than to burn with passion? Or does he say better to marry than to burn in the fires of judgment? Depends what translation you're reading. And in verse 27, is Paul saying a man bound to a woman in marriage should not seek to be released, or a man pledged to a woman in engagement should not seek to be released? Again, depends on your translation. 
in verses 32 to 35. If Paul wants the Corinthians to be free from concern, as he states in verse 32, then how can he go on and say that an unmarried person is concerned about the things of the Lord? Is this a good thing or a bad thing? Paul just said he didn't want them to be concerned. Is Paul changing the meaning of concern here from anxiety and worry to now attentiveness and focus? Or is Paul telling the singles in Corinth he doesn't want them to be worried or anxious about the things of the Lord? Remember we talked two Sundays ago about how there are some abstainers in Corinth. They're going around and they're telling everyone it's better for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman, period. Maybe they're kind of like my college friends, the Lobster Club. And, and maybe this is causing some of the, the singles in Corinth to worry, to be anxious about whether the Lord is okay with them getting married because they want to get married. Well, then finally, verses 36 to 38 present another confusing question. Is Paul addressing there the young men pledged to be married to young women or the fathers of the women looking to arrange marriages for their daughters? You might have a footnote presenting the two options. Is it marriage or because marriages were arranged in that culture, it's possible it could be either one. So again, is Paul giving advice to fathers or to fiancés? Depends on your translation. You come up with different answers to many of these questions. This passage is just full. More, more, most of the Bible is clear. This passage is full of confusing questions when you read it in Greek in the original language. So much so that Gordon Fee, who has studied 1 Corinthians for decades and written probably the most highly regarded commentary on it, he says in talking specifically about the heart of this passage, verses 29 to 35, unfortunately, from our distance, this passage is not clear either to what is being explained, what precisely it means, or for whom it is intended. <laughs> so where does that leave us? Well, let me give you an analogy from the house I grew up in. It had a pretty big attic, big enough that we stored stuff up there and we sometimes played in it. And like many attics, most of the floor consisted of joists, boards that were solid, and then in between them was pink fiberglass insulation. And my dad taught us early on, and probably some of you kids have learned this as well, you have to walk on the solid joists, right? Because if you walk on the pink insulation, as one of my friends found out, there's only sheetrock underneath and it won't hold your weight and your foot goes straight through the ceiling below. <laughs> You've got to stand where it's solid so you don't fall. And studying scripture is that way. We need to stand on what's solid and not put too much weight on what isn't clear here and there. And in this case, that's especially verses 32 to 35. It's not really very clear to us. I'm sure the Corinthians knew, but it's not very clear to us listening to one half of the phone conversation, what Paul was saying to them. But I have good news for you. The main point of this passage is very clear, and it's often overlooked. Here's the main point. Paul does not want us to worry when it comes to whether we get married or not. Verse 32, I would like you to be free from concern. And verse 35, I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you. 
Here, Paul's likely responding to the really spiritual people in the Corinthian church who are pressuring everyone to live by a certain religious standard, to abstain, to stay unmarried. They're they're saying something like, if you were really spiritual, if you really love Jesus, you will abstain. You will put aside your fleshy desires. You'll remain unmarried so you can devote yourself fully to God so you can pursue the wonderful satisfactions of the spirit rather than being content with the satisfactions of the flesh. So swear off marriage and sexual relations, be bachelors and bachelorettes till the rapture. Now, Paul's got to address this. And and in responding to it, he's in a tough spot. Because first off, Paul's single. And he's all in favor of singleness. After all, he's a man on the move. He travels frequently. He sometimes lands in prison. He's living on a shoestring. Paul's singleness frees him up to pursue God wholeheartedly. And second, the city of Corinth is going through some kind of major distress. Verse 26, because of the present distress. We don't know what this is for sure. Historians tell us there's a decent chance that it's a major famine and a critical food shortage, which we know took place in Corinth around this time. It's a tough situation, whatever it is, in which to get married and to settle down and to raise a family. And so for practical reasons, Paul thinks that being single is a very good idea at this point in time. And yet, on the other hand, Paul disagrees that being single is always better for everyone. And that everyone is even capable of thriving as a single person. As Paul says in verse 7, verse seven, not everyone has that gift. Meaning not everyone has the self-control to abstain and not to lust or give in to lust. And even more, Paul believes we're saved by grace, right? Paul is really big on the gospel, on salvation by grace through faith. So Paul's not going to get on the side of anyone who's pressuring people to live a certain lifestyle that the Bible doesn't tell us to live and saying it's more spiritual and you're somehow better if you live that way. Paul's not going to get on the side of anyone who says, if you really want to be a first-class Christian, you have to be single and to be abstinent. And if you marry, you're really sort of second. We wouldn't say that, but you're really sort of second-class. To this kind of thinking, Paul always says, No way! That's anti-gospel. Yet, Paul is very supportive of singleness. So Paul's got to handle this practical situation carefully. And the biggest two things Paul wants to get across, and listen up if you're single, because this is Paul's heart and God's heart for you. First, again, verse 23, hear Paul's heart. I want you to be free from concern. I don't want you to experience anxiety about this. And second, by all means, seek to get married if you want to. Verse 36, the one who wants to get married should do as they want. They're not sinning. They should get married. Also, verse 8 to 9, here Paul's speaking to those who are single but can't control themselves. He says they should marry, for it's better to marry than to burn, whatever that means. And verse 39, here Paul speaking to widows, 
If her husband dies, she is free to marry anyone she wishes. Do you hear Paul's heart? If you are single and you want to get married, what Paul would say in general is this. Don't be stressed about it. Don't feel any pressure from God to stay single. If you want to get married, go ahead, get married. There's nothing at all wrong with it. Sorry, lobsters. Sorry, bachelors to the rapture. Paul's not going to join your club. But of course, having said that, Paul is all in favor of singleness. And in the church today, which has too often glorified marriage and looked down on singleness, we need to hear Paul at this point. We need to hear how good singleness can be. In our passage, Paul gives two very good reasons to stay single. For those who have the gift to be single, who have the self-control to abstain. And the reasons Paul gives seem to be more practical and pragmatic than spiritual. One is that singleness is a wise choice in times of distress, in difficult times, when safety is an issue or food or housing is scarce. Think of the situation in the Ukraine lately. Can't you imagine, practically speaking, Paul saying, this is, a really good, uh, this is not a really good time if you're Ukrainian to settle down and start a family. You'll be more free from concern. You'll be less anxious if you don't get married right now and have those responsibilities. The second practical reason Paul gives to remain single is that it helps you to avoid the anxiety to be divided in your concerns. Paul begins addressing this in verse 29, where he says the time is short. The time is short. What does that mean? Well, some think it means that Paul thought the world would end very soon. Of course, we're reading this 2,000 years later. We trust the Bible, and, and we're still here, so that's a bit questionable. Uh, others think it means and should be translated, the time has been foreshortened, meaning that since the coming of Jesus, God's future kingdom is no longer off in the future. No, it's here now. It's begun to break into the present. We're living in the last days, as Acts 2 tells us. We're living in the overlap of the ages, the new age of the future. The coming of God's new creation has begun. It's breaking in now. It's upon us. The old age, this present age, is on its way out. The new age is on its way in, so we can't live like we used to live anymore. And if so, then those of us who realize this will want to live differently as a result. So Paul says, from now on, those who have wives should live as if they do not. Those who mourn as if they did not. Those who are happy as if they were not. Those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep. Those who use the things of the world as if not engrossed in them. For this world in its present form is passing away. Now, what does this mean? Those who have wives should live as they, if they did not. Well, don't take it too literally. <laughs> um, because everything else Paul says about marriage tells us husbands, you better act as if you're married. <laughs> you better love and serve and be devoted to your wife. So what does Paul mean when he says live like you're not married? And if you mourn, live as if you don't. And if you're happy, live like you aren't. And if you buy something, live like you can't keep it. And if you use the things of the world, live like you're not engrossed in them. 
I think what Paul is saying is let the fact that God's future age, God's kingdom is on its way in, have such an effect on you that everything else in this world is of secondary importance. Let me give you an analogy. When we first moved to New York like 14 years ago, the house that we were going to live in wasn't ready for us yet. But at the same time that we arrived, the Martin family was going on vacation to visit family in uh, Europe for several weeks. So they graciously allowed us temporarily to live in their house while the house we were going to be living in was being prepared. So, of course, we tried to take good care of their house, but we didn't try to upgrade it. We, we didn't buy furniture for it. We didn't spend money decorating it. Um, of course, because it wasn't our house, but also because we were only temporary residents, right? We were looking forward to having a place of our own. And that's where we were going to invest any time or effort in making it our own. And that, I think, is what Paul is getting at. The time is short. If you buy something, realize it's not yours to keep. You can't take it with you into the new creation. If you use the things of the world, fine, use them, but don't be too engrossed in them. They're temporary. Keep it in perspective. There are even more important things, even better things in store for those who follow Jesus. Verse 35 again. I'm saying this, Paul says, for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. So practically speaking, especially during times of distress, marriage can lead to a certain tension, a certain dividedness, a certain anxiety. On the one hand, we are to put Jesus first and to seek his kingdom first. On the other hand, those of us who are married also need to please our spouses, to prioritize them, and to care for the kids if we have them. And sometimes, especially for some of us, depending on your spouse and what they need or expect, this can make you feel divided and cause you some anxiety. And so Paul says, for this reason, if you have the gift of self-control, please seriously consider singleness. So for those who are single today, how does this apply to us today? What is God's word to us? Well, we're not facing a big distress presently. I know it constantly feels like we're on the brink of one these last couple years. <laughs> but despite all that, things are actually relatively stable and prosperous for most of us. At least for the moment. Who knows what tomorrow brings? So Paul's first reason for remaining single arguably doesn't apply at the moment. You might disagree. That's, that's fine. Figure it out for yourself. But another consideration is, as we try to apply this to ourselves today, singles today lack something important that singles back then had. And that is most people back then lived in extended families. They lived with parents, grandparents, uncles, aunts, relatives, cousins, they weren't alone. They had a community, a support system. And often they didn't marry for love anyway. Some did, but often marriages were arranged for economic, social, and political reasons. 
And so you could, didn't expect your spouse to meet all of your emotional needs. So singles were less often alone and isolated as singles are today. And because the church back then was a big extended family and did life together way more and way better than we do, although we try, the church back then could offer singles support and companionship in a way that American churches do a much poorer job at. What we married couples need to realize as we look around this church is that we have singles here who are very lonely, who go home every day, many of them to an empty house. And so they need friendship. They need companionship multiple times a week in many cases. While, while those of us who are busy with spouses and raising children, we could maybe go a week or more and be okay without getting together socially. Singles need social connection so much more often. And so it's tough being single in today's world. And the church today doesn't do a great job of offering social support compared to how the early church did. So given all that, I wonder what Paul would say to singles today. Well, part of what he'd say is clear. And I hope you can, you can hear this morning how pastoral Paul's heart is, how caring he is being. Here's what Paul says. On the one hand, verse 8, it's good to stay unmarried as I do. There's some good practical reasons for being single. If you have that gift, if you have the self-control. So if you're content being single, don't let anyone look down on you or make you feel it would be better if you were married. Being single means you can focus your time and commitment undividedly on God without feeling anxiety. But on the other hand, if you do want to get married, verse 32, Paul says, I'd like you to be free from concern. Verse 35, I want what's good for you. I don't want to restrict you. If you want to get married, go ahead, get married. If God provides you with a potential spouse, there's nothing wrong with that. Paul has only one caveat in verse 39. He or she must belong to the Lord. If you are already a follower of Jesus and are choosing who to marry, don't marry someone who's not also a follower of Jesus. Marry someone who belongs to the Lord. Now, as we close, I want to address one situation a lot of singles face that Paul doesn't address here. And that is, some of you want to get married, but you haven't been able to find the right person. Or, or maybe you do struggle with self-control or, or lust, and abstinence is very hard for you. Or maybe you're lonely and you long for companionship, but God hasn't brought along the right person for you to marry. Well, again, Paul doesn't address this directly in today's passage, but I've got a couple practical pieces of advice, which I think are helpful for singles and for all of us on this. First, singles, as you wait, ask God to make you into marriage material. Ask God to work on your character, your maturity, your habits. And then lean hard into that growth as God answers that prayer. I've talked to a lot of singles who want a wonderful spouse, who's fit and healthy, who doesn't have annoying habits, who's patient and kind and thoughtful, who's secure and mature and responsible. 
But truth be told, some of these singles want something like that, but they're not that way themselves. They have annoying habits. They're immature. They're selfish or needy or whatever. They struggle with addictions and other habits. And so if you want a great spouse, work on becoming a great spouse. You can't control finding a spouse who's like what you want, but you can control becoming someone who'd make a great spouse. And then second bit of practical advice, and this one's for everyone. Don't forget about the social needs and the relational needs that people who are single have. Invite them over for dinner. Include them in your life. Connect with them. Let's be the kind of church where singles can flourish in their wholehearted devotion to God.